Hey everyone and welcome back to the News Agent Podcast. My name is Andrea Warmington and I am the Senior Content Strategist here at Good Lord. This podcast is a recording of the second in our series of State of the Lettings Industry webinars. It features Christian Beifeld, the co-founder of The Depository, with Good Lord's own Ollie Sherlock. They're discussing how the pandemic has accelerated the adoption of technology in the lettings industry and beyond, exemplified by the move towards remote work, which is also lessening the importance of location for tenants. Don't forget that you can still download the State of the Lettings Industry Report for free at goodlord.co slash newsagent. But in the meantime, let's get into the podcast. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to today's webinar. We're going to be discussing today how technical transformation is impacting agencies and tenants. And I'm delighted to be joined by Christian Byfield, co-founder at The Depository. Um, we'll introduce Christian shortly, uh, and he can uh, introduce himself, as it were. Um, today, we're going to talk about a number of things um, in regards to the data points we took from our State of the um, uh, state of the Industry report that was conducted a couple of months ago. So, um, today, we're going to be covering how agencies of your size have benefited from technology. Um, we're going to cover what parts of your business could be helped by technology. And we're also going to discuss the future of remote work and the impact uh, on tenant movement. Um, throughout this session, there is a live Q&A. Uh, we will have time at the end of the session to cover some questions. But indeed, if you want to ask any questions um, as we go along through the slides, please indeed do. So um, without further ado, I'll introduce Christian. Hello there, Christian. Morning, Ollie. How are we this morning? Good, my man. Good, good, good. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very good, thank you. Um, for those who don't know Christian Byfield, could you give us a short uh, uh, intro to who you are, what you're all about, and uh, yeah, well, so where are you from, as it were? Sure. So, um, so for those who don't know, I'm I'm an estate and letting agent, uh, primarily uh, lettings. I own based property specialists which my partner and I founded back in 2004 so we've been going what about 17 and a half years um I was in the industry for about a year and a half two years before that um and then about two years ago uh we launched another company called the depository uh, which I like to say is the good lord for the end of tenancy you guys deal with the application process and we deal, you deal with the onboarding and we'll deal with the offboarding. So you guys look at everything from sort of offer through to moving and insurance. And we do everything after notice. So we do all the sort of preparation of getting a property ready for tenants to move back, deposit deduction proposals, reconciliations, and if need be, dispute filings. Fantastic. And that's been going a couple of years now. Is that right? That's right. So we So we started the company five years ago. Um, we spent three years developing it because um, we took a slightly different route to Good Lord. We've we've been completely self-funded. Um, yeah. So uh, part of that journey meant that things happened slower. Um, but also it's it's quite a complex process, the end of tenancy process, yeah. particularly because a lot of agents have a lot of nuances with how they do it. I know, you know, that's been, been a big learning journey for you guys over the years is sort of adapting Definitely. to the nuances of how agencies operate. And we knew... We knew before we launched this product, we had to have a very robust, very customizable product. So, um, so yeah, so we spent three years building the platform to a point where we were happy to release it. And yeah, we've been running nearly two years now um, in partnership with TDS. Fantastic. Well, we'll talk more about how you've adapted that process at the end of the tenancy as we go through the webinar. And um, we've had a first question in, um, and it's a fair one. I'm asking, did I introduce myself? I didn't. Um, apologies. Um, <laughs> uh, we now know who Christian is. Uh, we don't, maybe maybe don't know who I am. Um, I'm Ollie Sherlock, Director of Insurance um, here at Good Lord. Um, uh, I'll be taking you through the webinar today, but also um, I've done one previously with Paul Champlina and been um, leading the webinars through the last sort of 15, 16 months uh, throughout the pandemic. I think we've also got a few more slated. Um, with um, some industry um, fellows um, in similar stature to, to, to Christian. Um, so uh, look forward to those. But today we're going to discuss a couple of points around how technology essentially um, has helped businesses, but also the impact of, of tenant uh, movement following the pandemic. So let's get into the data because there's some quite interesting results here that um, I think it's fair to say, Christian, you don't necessarily agree with all of them. So, um, but we'll, yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll... I find some of them quite fascinating. So it's, um, yeah, 
yeah, let's let's start diving into this, shall we? <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so um, this um, th- this point in, in in our report asked the question of which which statement best describes the impact technology and automation will have on your business, um, and this kind of followed followed the trend of the previous report back in 2020 um, on the basis that 36 percent uh, of uh, of people answering that question um, said that automation will will be accelerated, um, but the workforce reduction will be limited. Now um, that's up from 30. the year previously and clearly the leading answer uh, from both reports um first question to you christian is this a failure from a prop tech perspective or is this a failure from an agent perspective to understand the opportunity they have out there when it comes to prop tech look i think i think when we talk about automation and a reduction in workforce i think first of all we have to do is is understand the ecosystem of agency in the uk um we are predominant you know we're dominated by independent agencies around between 70 and 80 percent of agents are one to three branch operations um and so the reality of that is i mean our company base we're, we're a single branch agent and and actually very happy uh operating at that size um when you're that small no matter how good a product is you're almost certainly not going to get rid of a member of staff you're going to free them up to either deliver a better more sort of tailored bespoke hands-on service that tends to be our approach because we're all about service levels and customer experience or you're going to slide them across into a slightly different role maybe a revenue generating role maybe they're going to you know focus on selling insurance products or generating new business leads within a new part so i think that that statistic i have to say doesn't surprise me and 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 i don't know about you guys but even when i go in as depository to pitch to larger agents, my message is never about workforce reduction. It is very much still on those two messages. It's about an enhanced experience um, and then freeing that member of staff up to either give an enhanced experience or to fulfill a role somewhere else within the business. Um, Now, obviously, I think in in the largest of operations, there obviously is a look um, at what that means. Um, typically just because of the scale of the business itself um, and typically uh, what what those businesses will be spending on a product like like Good Lord or Depository across that business. Of course, they're going to look at opportunities to potentially reduce um, their workforce. But, you know, we're, we're really looking at the biggest of companies, which is, you know, probably 5% of the industry. Um, if yeah, I, I, I think it's a bit of a blunt instrument to say that automation or PropTech is here to, to, to deliver those workforce um, reductions. I don't think that's, that's actually what the, what's in a business's best interest. I think automation no. and PropTech is there to allow them to focus on the things that actually propel their business into different stratospheres. And um, in a time that it's you know, the hardest to win landlords than it's possibly ever been, I think we say that every year, but it seems to always increasingly get harder, um, especially with some of the market forces at play. Um, it's really about allowing you to spend as many hours from that nine and six or nine and seven, whatever you work, focusing on the things that's going to drive the revenue rather than the things that are relatively monotonous, can be automated. And for me, that's the difference is it's looking at your business and going, okay, which part of this do I not need to do that? I actually, there's a a solution out there that I can automate in its entirety. Um, And which parts can't I? And, and, you know, literally those two columns, I think if businesses haven't done that, I would implore them to do so because actually that opens your eyes going, ah, maybe I, I, I need the staff still. Yeah. But I can direct the staff in a different way. Um, no, absolutely. And- I agree. I mean, I, I think, I think we, we say to a lot of agents, again, focusing on, on, on the smaller side of the industry, because that is the predominant bit of the industry. Um, I've just completely lost my train of thought there. So- <laughs> <laughs> That's come in and flown straight out the window. <laughs> oh, smaller dear. agents, focusing on smaller agents. I was talking about how actually it's really about focusing your time in terms That's of right. you know, focusing on revenue driving things rather than yeah. things that are you know relatively monotonous in terms of process. That's it. I've got it back. Right. So there's there two we things we pitch on. So um, job satisfaction is a vastly ignored element of what tech can do. Tech is great at automating mundane, boring, repetitive stuff. And that that not only, you know, automates it so you know that it happened, but you're taking that monotonous job off somebody's desk, you know. And I don't know a member of staff that wouldn't want to have something, you know, a monotonous task come off. And the other thing is 
I think when I say to, you know, when I talk to an agent and they're like, how much can I automate? It's like probably about 90% of a lettings business can be automated. And my sort of view on that as an agent and as a, and as a techie is it's quite a simple question. Look at every minute step of the process and ask yourself at every single step where you add value. Now value can be um, measured in different ways. Okay, value could be an experience or value could be monetary. But the bottom line is, if a human doing that little dot on the journey doesn't add value to your customer experience or your business revenue, then they shouldn't be doing it. Mm. A machine should be doing it. And and you make a really interesting point there around the the happiness of the staff as well. I mean, I I was a letting agent many, many moons ago um, when I had a lot more hair and it it was a lot less gray. Um, And, you know, I remember as an entry level letting agent in my first in the first business, which was a, uh, a franchise business. You know, ultimately, you were given all the all, all the menial tasks, and one of those was you know submitting applications or you know filing the hot box, this kind of thing. Um, and actually, you know, whilst the whole world of lettings was interesting me, those elements of the job I really hated. Um, and I, I and it wasn't because I didn't want to do the work; it was because I didn't think I was adding value. So you know, the link between allowing people to automate or allowing businesses to automate some of these processes to free the staff to focus on the things that they actually like to do. And guess what? People who like to do things do them better. Actually, is a really interesting exactly. one, and um, that's something we've, we've probably not have highlighted uh, before. That's a really interesting insight. Um, we actually have a question come in along those lines. Um, the question being: How do you handle staff who are resistant to new tech because they're worried about losing their jobs? Now, um, I think on the basis that you know we, we clearly see businesses selling on this basis, and we, you know, let's not get it, get it wrong, both our businesses sell on efficiency, and there's a clear yeah. link sometimes there in, a, in owners' minds that that efficiency leads to that, that job being cut or changed. Um, how, do you, how do you manage this from your perspective, Christian? So look, I think, I think there's, a, there's a couple of answers to that. First of all, it depends on, from a leadership perspective, with that owner, manager, whatever, how the language that is used with embedding this you know, I think you've got to be very careful as an owner or as a leader in a business, bringing a product in. <clears throat> you first of all got to be careful that you're not devaluing the work that your member of staff has done up until this point. You know, you don't want to be like, oh, it's fine. We don't need to do that anymore. We can just, we'll just plug that product mm. in. So you want to tread carefully not to make them feel like the work they've been doing is, isn't valued by the business. Um. Something I've also talked about is several times is I think businesses need to be need to look at any product and service, be it tech or or a, or a physical outsource service. They should approach it like a new member of staff in the business. So you you wouldn't hire a member of staff and literally just have them turn up to work on Monday and lead them to some desk in the corner of the room and not tell anyone what they do and not tell them what anyone else does. And just expect everything to to slot into this sort of yeah. perfect harmony. Um, it's about a journey, uh, and you need to get your staff on board. Um, as we've touched on already, most agencies are small enough that owners will be looking at this stuff, but they're not thinking, "Oh, I can sack this person, or I can cut their salary, no. or I can." That's that's not their their psychology of it. So for most agencies. If your staff have that fear, it's unfounded. But it's totally legitimate that they have that fear because you read articles about automation and everything out there, and it does talk about workforce reduction and et cetera, et cetera. So it's about the tone and the language as an owner. Um, I think you need to get um, buy-in from the staff. And I think one of the ways you do that, and this is actually something I've seen done in larger operations, but I actually think it's something that most companies and most sizes can adopt. Um, I've seen a couple of businesses uh, appoint what they call a product champion. And so basically what they do is they allocate an individual within within the business who is basically the business lead for that product. Their job is to know that product inside out almost as well, if not as well, as the people who offer that product and support it for you Mm. and to really sort of 
dive into the depth, you know, the, the depths of what that product can do for the business, how it works, how it operates, the best ways to use it, and become the go-to person within the business who trains the, the rest of the team on how to use it, how to embed it within their processes, is the go-to person if they get a bit stuck, oh, you know, what do we do at this bit again? Or, uh, you know, we've had a tendency go this way, you know, you do a bit of an unusual journey. Yeah, yeah. What do we do in this case? And And having someone within the business who takes ownership of that, and then when you do your weekly or your monthly meetings, you know, have them stand up and do a little two minute thing about, right, guys, you know, this month we've done, you know, X amount of applications across the platform. You know, how are we finding it? And and share best practice, you know, take yeah. a lead on if you've got more than one person using a product, talk to each other, talk to what worked. Oh, do you know what? I tried this on the platform the other day and I got this result much better than we normally get. Great. Let's all try doing that now. You know, so I think it's 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 um, giving your staff ownership of it. Um, and again, it's about that transition of roles. Right. So that member of staff is less worried about the the monotonous emails and, and processes they would be doing manually beforehand. And now it's about trusting in that platform to do it. But giving that platform all your energy and focus to make sure that you're getting everything out of that platform that you can. And, 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 that, and that's, I think, a crucial point, because, you know, ultimately, people don't like change um full stop um and i'm no different um you know i like i like i like what i like and i, I you know I, I get comfort from that um and essentially what technology is saying is hey hey you've you've maybe done this the wrong way or or you've not done this as good as you could have done with the use of technology um and that challenge is actually unfair to the to, to whatever solutions out there because it's there to support and aid but you've got to be open to change and the staff have to be open to change. And I think what's interesting through this report is that we've gone from 5% um, of um, uh, a people survey in 2020 saying, you know, this isn't applicable. We don't, we don't use tech um, and uh, we don't essentially look to automate uh, any process in our business. That was 5% a year ago. A year on, that's now 1%. So clearly agents um, out there are more are less resistant to change and more open to looking at solutions. And, you know, our business saw that through the pandemic, um, you know, from a um, you know, from a digital transformation perspective, um, businesses were forced to look at this. Um, but that's quite a reassuring number that actually le- the letting sector is open to new ideas and is open to technology, te- tech solutions, essentially. Are you finding that with the depository that agents have changed that perspective maybe a little bit? Absolutely. I think I think, you know, they, it, we've been moving that way. Right. I mean, look, we live we live in a digital society. Um, I think it depends where you live and your age and market sector, you know, and your general life experience in terms of how much tech permeates your your everyday life. And I think that then leads to your attitude towards tech within a business. Mm. Um, but look, I think I think, again, not just our industry, but across all sectors, the pandemic has forced a lot of people to face a lot of realities about work life and how businesses operate um you know being able whether whether you know whether agents are going to pivot to much of a work from home model long term remains to be seen um but i think a lot of agents have realized that when an emergency happens and let's hope there aren't any more global pandemics that we have to go through but you know i think what agents have seen is do you know what if my office gets flooded tomorrow doesn't matter yeah you know i've put things in place in the last 18 months 2 years my business will be absolutely fine. It will operate mm. almost exactly the way it has done, you know, until such time that we can move back into our office. And then the office is really just somewhere that brings us together. Um, I think it pushed a lot of people over, off the fence. You know, it was a lot of people umming and erring um, about, you know, well, does it really do that? You know, does it really change things? And, you know, it's that mentality of, and, and this is nothing unique to our industry, um, we've always done it this way. You know, yeah. I came up doing it this way. I've trained my staff to do it this way. You know, we've got an all right profit margin. We've got an all right market share. Don't change things because everything's yeah. generally fine. And I think what this forced people to do was say, actually, you think your business is fine until something unforeseen happens. And then you realize actually your business is, is desperately exposed. Um, and going forward, you know, we are going to have a changing work environment. I think, you know, work from home isn't going to be readily adopted en masse across our industry. But I think 
you know, anyone who doesn't think that that is generally happening across all industries over the next 10 years. Um, I mean, this has definitely sped that up. Um, but, you know, we're, we're in 10 years time, to... if you don't have flexible working really written into the core DNA of your business, you're going to struggle to attract the best talent out there. And I think that's, you know, that's really what businesses have to have at the back of their mind is it's not just about today's problems, right? It's about yeah. tomorrow's problems and the problems in five years and the problems in 10 years. And I think most businesses will agree that their biggest challenge and their biggest asset is the staff that work for them. And so, you know, what businesses need to be doing, it's not just operational coming back to that, um, you know, uh, uh, work enjoyment level. Um, that is what's going to attract the best staff. And I re read an interesting case study the other day, which was actually, <clears throat> you know, we had this sort of wave of WeWorks and all these funky offices and workplaces opening with, you know, table tennis tables and arcade machines and pizza Fridays and all this sort of stuff. And actually the article was saying, actually, whilst that was fun, that's sort of, we're sort of coming out of that phase now. Like yeah, that yeah. was, that was nice for a lot of people, but they're sort of like, actually, do you know what? That's yeah. actually irrelevant. I'd much rather work for a company that I'm really proud of the work they do. I'm really proud about the ethics of the business and actually, if they give me the flexibility to work the way I want to work, to give me the job satisfaction, the life satisfaction I want, that is far more important to me than having fresh fruit on every desk and having a meditation room in the basement, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that we've, um, as, a, as a management team at Good Lord, we've been uh, reading a, a book called Working Backwards, which is a, a talk through um, um, how Amazon essentially built its process in its business. Um, and it talks about the business's culture being, being there for better or worse. Um, and I think the worst part is often something companies don't focus on when it comes to, well, we offer these nice perks, but how often do you sense check those? How often are you actually checking whether that instills, you know, um, somebody to be a missionary in that, in that business or indeed a mercenary? And I think we're going to see people really wanting to buy in to what businesses are trying to achieve. Um, and that is going to come into our space. I think we are um, maybe the latter part of that uh, attending that party from an industry perspective but it will happen and we're seeing that already with some um, some businesses where they're really looking at how they structure their business one looking how they you know what they're setting out to achieve and also how they really look to reach their goals it's not about you know sell 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 let, let. it's about building a brand that everybody in that organization can be really proud of um, yeah, and absolutely tech I think tech can help that because it allows you to obviously free that time up a little bit and and focus on doing that. And, you know, time is something that, you know, when we speak to agents, often they've got very little of. And, you know, it's not an association of reducing headcount. It's an association of freeing up more time. Um, we've actually got some questions in um, around some of the points we've been discussing. Um, one from Philip. Good morning, Philip. Um, he's at, he says, um, I think a big fear for staff is when a, a DM, so a decision maker of the business, um, agrees to implement something without them knowing, but then pass all the responsibility to the staff. I don't know if Philip's one of the managers or whether he's one of the staff. It feels like he may be one of the staff who has been handed down um, uh, you know, a, a project or a new introduction. But I think he makes a really good point. Unless you've got everybody on board that, that journey in terms of this is what we're trying to achieve, you made the point earlier about people knowing their processes and why change because it works. That's ultimately what it comes down to, isn't it? Because people go, well, hang on a minute. Are you telling me I'm not doing a great job almost? Look, I think, I think it's a really challenging job for leaders. Let, let's make no mistake because there's this constant dialogue in the background about how archaic agents are and how tech phobic they are and how stuck in the old ways they are and how they need to innovate. And then on the flip side, you've got this, you know, like you said, and as we've been talking about getting your buy-in from your staff, but not all staff can be made to buy into a product. You know, there are those that, you know, just because they're not, you know, tech doesn't come easily to them and, you know, they've done their job for so long, the way that they've done it, that anything else is just terrifying. So look, yes, in an ideal world, absolutely. You know, a leader will look at a product and embed the team, uh, engage the team in that decision making. I think that the challenge is, is that everyone has their own motivations, right? So you've got a founder that is predominantly looking at what the business is doing, turnover and profit. 
is 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 a core focus for any business owner or decision maker. Um, for staff, typically that isn't their focus. Um, and so, you know, those those desires and, and wants can be slightly contradictory. I mean, I think what I've found with the depository, um, what we found typically as a good process is we see quite a lot of our agents do two demos with us. And so quite often that will happen with a senior decision maker at the start, maybe with one of their senior sort of people in the role that will use our product, a senior property manager on that call. We'll usually do a full demo with that. They'll go away, have a little chat, um, and then they'll usually come back to us and go, look, we really like it, but we want to put it in front of the team. You know, we want to see the guys who do this day to day. Because again, you know, your staff are the ones who know the nuances of their day-to-day job. Most, most managers and owners don't really know. They might have done the job themselves. They might have done that job that role themselves five, 10 years ago, but don't actually know the exact things their team go through day in, day out doing those applications. And so <clears throat> I think that's where also as a decision maker, you get that real value of looking at a product because we'll quite often do that first demo and that will go very plain sailing because they're just looking at the overall delivery of what the product does. And the questions tend to be quite overreaching and just about overall delivery. We'll then quite often do a second demo to the whole team or several members of a team that will use the product. And that's when we'll quite often get some really interesting questions like, oh, I had a tenancy the other day that ended up doing this. How would your platform handle that? And we had another tendency that this happened. And and what happens if that happens? Because they're the boots on the ground guys. They're the ones who know what they need uh, a system to handle and where the nuances in their role are. So A, for a decision maker, you want that that involvement from your staff because they're the ones who are really going to deep dive on a product and go, I mean, they say it does this, but my concern is it can't handle that, 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 or that. Or, you know, they turn around and go, wow, yeah, well, you know, this is, well, this is um, the basis. Let, let's focus. We've got a couple of questions on this, which I'm going to come to uh, for those who have asked those. And we, will, we will turn back to the questions on this. Um, but I want to focus on the bit you've just mentioned there in terms of, you know, what this thing actually does, assessing how we can, um, how we can you know, use technology and what part of the process. And if we go on to the next slide, Holly, I think you just skipped on this. There we go. Um, this was one, I think this was a slide that um, certainly sort of um, irked you, maybe is fair to say. I just, I, I find it a bit baffling, this, <laughs> this result. I, I, would, I would agree, but I, I, think, I think I know why. Um, I think it's because um, we interviewed you know, thousands of agents across the country for this, um, not, not good law customers um, by necessity, um, you know, a mixture of agents across the UK. I think it's because actually this is the product that agents are most used to the automation on because that's as far as PropTech has gone across the board in most standard agencies. If you look at one process that is automated more than not in an agency, it's referencing. Not all agencies will automate the pre-tenancy process. Not all agencies will automate the post-tenancy process. But referencing is slightly different. So I think that's why this comes out at 34%. I would definitely disagree that this is not the part that actually technology can hope and all, uh, help and automate the most. There's so many other parts here that essentially really do help propel your business into a different stratosphere. Yeah, exactly. I think the, the, the thing I found baffling about this is most agents outsource their referencing. You know, there, there is probably, I mean, I would, I would guess that 10 to 20% do it in-house. But I would, you know, equally guess that 80 to 90% outsource. And actually, for most agents... Once you outsource your referencing, fundamentally, you don't actually care or or most agents won't care how that service is delivered, whether it's a super tech led thing or it's an old school referencing agency that's just hitting the phones and and getting email email references from people. But the point is, when you when you outsource that service, however, that is delivered by your third party actually doesn't alter your business. The point Mm. the point is you're paying someone to do it. You give them the details and you get a report back at the end. However, that's facilitated doesn't ultimately impact your business itself. So that's that's the only reason I found referencing surprising so high on this. 
Um, I mean, I would definitely say admin. I mean, that, that's a very broad category, admin. Yeah. Um, but if you if you class admin as every administrative process that comes into the journey, so really in that, you know, you're looking at the onboarding process, the offboarding process. Um, that is a lot of man hours with very little value. Um, it's it's essential work it's all stuff that's got to be done um but very little value for the business mm. um and i think that's where the massive win is and and lettings because it is so process driven yes agents have their own processes and their own ways of doing things but it is so process driven processes are perfect for technology because you can take a process you can map it or, or get as damn near to that process mapping as you can and then automate as much of that so so really i think for me you know, what I found surprising with this was I would expect admin top, compliance second, um, probably property management third. Um, you know, if we look at one of the one of the most successful products in our space, FixFlow, um, you know, I barely ever hear a bad word said about that product. And for something mm. that's adopted by yeah. about 40 percent of the industry, I believe I'm right in saying somewhere around there, um, you know, that is quite staggering. Um, yeah. But. You know, I mean, I was just on a on an agent's network group the other day and they were, you know, and someone had asked the question, like, if you could have two bits of kit, you know, if you started again, you had two bits of kit, what would it be? And the amount of people who started that response with FixFlow because of the level of automation that or just streamlining that that delivers to that process is huge. Um, so I think, you know, all of these things, all of these things can be streamlined and automated. Um, but yeah, I found the order of things quite quite interesting. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure I, I, I agree with an order perspective, but I think you made an interesting point, which is maybe agents looked at this in terms of what products they know are in the marketplace, I, what I, products I think they that's, feel yeah, can I, deliver I, uh, I a result that, there. I think that's what's potentially leading it. I mean, it, it, the question is, which part of the lessons process do you think could be helped uh, by technology and automation? Um, I mean, for me, the, the the real one here that stands out for me is compliance. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we we work in an environment uh, and an industry that um, has, you know, you know, many, many compliance virtues, almost hundreds of compliance virtues that they agents have to follow, um, eat, sleep and repeat. And um, talking about process like you did just there, that's the ideal process to be married by tech um, and help support that. And you know, we certainly see the value from a good law perspective in, you know, automating that for agents so that they know that these things are done routinely every single time. And there's something they can fall back on. If they ever had to prove it, it's there. Absolutely. And, yeah. You know, the, the, if agents aren't focusing on, you know, I'm not talking about good law, but I'm talking about solely their compliance journey. Please do focus on it because it's only going to get harder um, and it's only going to get more convoluted. But also these are the reasons why, you know, you exist. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, there's so much value in letting agents and actually arguably that, you know, the value in letting agents has come to the forefront in the last 18 odd months, more so than ever before. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're not focused on the compliance journey, it probably means you're not explaining the story to your landlords as well as you could. And therefore, you're missing out on opportunity to, to really tie them down to services that can support your business further because it it's a minefield, isn't it, in some respects? Well, that's it. And I think, look, tech, tech is infiltrating every aspect of our lives so you know that includes government bodies enforcement regulators all this sort of stuff i mean it's interesting focusing on compliance so i've been involved with uh, a work group um focusing on what, what what we've sort of called property mot's for about the last three years um and you know that work has come across a few sort of things i get involved with so um i'm involved with something called the tlic which is the lettings industry council um, I also sit on the board of the UK PropTech Association, uh, and I've recently joined the Lettings Advisory Board for Zoopla. Um, and interestingly, what those three organisations have in common is they're all looking five, ten years down the line. Mm. What is coming around the corner? What do we as an industry and a sector need to think about? And a massive part of that is this compliance. And, it, and like I said, it, we've we've sort of encapsulated it under what we've branded property MOTs. And what, I mean, I think when we say that, I think most people actually get in principle the idea. You know, you think about your car MOT and particularly since they've been digitized, 
it's pretty straightforward. You now, you know, you'll get a reminder to go and do your MOT certificate, but that is digitized. And you can then go and, you know, when you renew your insurance, they can see online that your MOT certificate is valid and you mm. can renew your insurance. Um, you know, when you think of how that process was pre-digitization, it is such a better journey and process now. Yeah. Um, better, uh, but easier for regulars, regulators to enforce better for the consumer because it's almost impossible to renew your insurance if you don't have a valid MOT certificate. Um, and really, we're, you know, we're looking at tech coming into making compliance a lot more visible. So what that will do is that will empower the consumer. Um, because at the moment, what poor agents and poor landlords benefit from is uh, a naivety and a lack of knowledge from the consumer about the regulation landscape, about what their rights and protections are. And so bad operations get away with not doing things they should do because the consumer, the tenant, doesn't really understand fully what should be done to make sure that they are safe and properly yeah. looked after in a property. Tech will pull back that curtain. You know, tech in the next few years is going to make all of these things massively more transparent. You know, be that, you know, gas safeties, EICRs, your property licensing. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff is going to become much more instantly digitally recognizable. Um, and with that will come the ability for tenants to, to, to flag an issue and to report an issue much more easily as well. Yeah. Um, and before agents on here start rolling their eyes about oh, tenants, um, at the end of the day, that's the landscape. That's our job, you know, and that is where we deliver value to our landlords and our tenants. Yeah. Um, and, and Christian, on that, I mean, the, it's cliche, I know it's a cliche, but it's true. You know, the, the today's tenant is tomorrow's landlord or, or home buyer. And you know, if, if, if you have that, you know, intrinsically as part of your business, actually, it, it's not a bad motto to go by when it, you know, you're thinking, where shall I pull my efforts? You know, should I just focus solely on the landlord journey and not think about the tenants? Well, actually, no, because they're going to remember how they were treated. And they're also going to remember how they're treated in the disparity of service that you do get um, sometimes within the industry. So, you know, those agents really focus on that. I think really shine. Um, and it does make a difference, and it makes a difference to landlords. Landlords want happy tenants. Uh, yeah, happy I think I think stay, you know absolutely bang important. on the money, Ollie. Yeah, I think you know something that has always slightly mystified me with lettings is how short-sighted some agents can be about giving a tenant a poor experience. Because, like you said, tenants are tomorrow's landlords. But even looking more broader than that, most tenants will be tenants for several years and they will aspire to become a homeowner. And yes, maybe they will become a landlord, but you don't even have to look that far, you know, but most tenants will be tenants at the start of their property journey. Um, and a lot of tenants will stay roughly in the area where they grow up. You know, yes, there, there's a, there's a migration section and some will come to London and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I think a lot of people generally stay in their home patch. Well, well so, let's look at that. Let's, sorry, so if you're an established sorry. agent, you know, do you want a tenant's first experience with your brand to be awful? You know, well, do you definitely. want for the next 30 or 40 years that tenant to look at your brand and go, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm not I'm not touching them after the experience I had when I was 20 renting that property? Yeah, you know, yeah. And I think it's it's. Yeah, I, I do find that that short sightedness surprising. I think it's it's much less prevalent now than it was. I think agents are grasping the the life value uh, of a tenant so much more now. Um, and, you know, and and you look at you know services like you guys who help add on the extra stuff, the insurances, the yeah. the warranties, all this sort of stuff. And actually, it's not just about the letting; it's about the ancillary products that you can sell around that on their lettings journey um you know we've got tenants renting two or three properties with us now so spending 10 years with us as a tenant um you know and and the extra revenue make on that time and then guess what then they go into buying a property we don't really do a lot of sales but you know there's a great opportunity there for mortgage leads because we've built up such a trust um with our tenants there that why wouldn't they trust our recommendation for a mortgage broker so okay we might not sell them a property in our business but we but you've can got sell them a mortgage. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about tenants, um, I'm going to move on the slides, and I'm, I'm conscious of time. Um, we, we've got sort of five, ten minutes tops um, left um, <laughs> to cover a few slides. Um, this has been a fascinating chat, um, and certainly we'd like to re- revisit this in you know in six, twelve months as well, Christian, to to look back on the next report and think. Yeah, absolutely. Is, is what we're saying right here? Did we, you know, are, are we on the money or not? Um, but talking of tenants, and you know, talking about living in the local area, etc. We asked tenants through this industry report, and um, have you moved? Um, or are you considering moving as a result of COVID-19? And 80% said no. Now, um, 4% were not sure. I don't know whether you... I, to me, this is a yes or no answer. I don't know no, if you can be not sure. Yeah, I don't um, know you can be not sure. And I and I, I think this of all the slides I found most baffling. Um, I don't know if it's particularly because I'm a London agent. And I think every London agent knows that there was a mass exodus. You know, the, the rental market did empty itself and for good reason you know why do you want to be paying two thousand pound a month for a two-bed flat to be near an office that you can't go into for the next year when you could move home with mum and dad for a year and put that 24 grand in your bank account um so yeah i have to say this slide i found the weirdest i don't know if it's because people are kind of i think a lot of people psychologically are like okay we you know covid sort of in hand now and they're talking more about what it looks like ahead. So but I think definitely in the last two so, years. So this is the past year, I suppose. So maybe, you know, if, if you're looking at on the last 12 months, maybe a lot of the moving and shaking happened before that. You think we're probably, what, 15, 18 months maybe into this? I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, but I mean, I, I, I personally feel like that that graph should be literally the other way around. And like you said, there should definitely not be a not sure. So I would expect it to be like 20% no, 80% yes. I really um, enjoy the not sure. I really enjoy the fact that people out there, they're not sure whether they've moved. I don't know why I've moved. Moving. <laughs> I don't know why I've moved. After the year we've all had, I think, I think like me, Christian, you're, you're a new dad. Um, I think we've yeah. both had um, sons. I think you have a little, a little well, new dad, right? I did have a kid before, but I'm, I'm, now, I'm now a double dad. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm now triple dad. Um, so I don't oh, want to do you, but I've gone on three you're times. Um, but indeed, <laughs> um, I, I think I think we fit into the proportion of people where, that probably it's fair to say we're not sure. We don't know. Uh, we're not sleeping. I haven't got a clue what's going on. I no, don't know exactly. We've moved house or not. Um, but the not sure aside, um, I think you know from a London perspective, you know we've spoken to so many agents, some of our customers, and you know they'll 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 tell tell us that that story and indeed we've seen it you know it happened in in the numbers um, because we support that part of the process but actually i live in um, lincoln in lincolnshire yeah. um and it's been very much the opposite you know we haven't seen huge movement what we actually saw um more locally was people doubled doubling down when they normally would have moved they stayed because hey they knew where they were they've got comfort um the market was extremely hot so you know it's difficult to get the property actually you wanted um yeah. But of course, most properties that in, in that location and further afield are going to be slightly larger, maybe than the inner city properties. Have more open space and green space. They're the kind of things, aren't they, that we we learned a year ago were important to tenants during the pandemic. I think that's it, and maybe maybe that's why we're seeing the results here. Whilst COVID has reshaped how people look at a property, can I comfortably work from home? Does does it have decent outside space? Does it have access to the amenities and the lifestyle I want? Maybe COVID has changed that shift in mind, but people don't see that as moving because of COVID. They're moving because they now want a home that ticks certain boxes that were different before. But maybe they're viewing that as this is what's going to make me happy. This is the lifestyle I want rather than COVID is making me do this. So maybe that maybe that is the explanation behind that. But, you know, I think definitely people's attitudes and the priorities um, for what they want and need from a property has definitely changed. Um, a shout out to uh, one of the attendees who's just messaged um, quadruple dad here. Um, we 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 doff our caps lunatic to you and um, feel <laughs> absolute lunatic. <laughs> absolutely amazed that that that's manageable. Um, well done to you. Um, appreciate the shout out there as well. Um, so kid, kids aside, um, if we could move on the next slide. Um, we, we looked at this. So other people um, who, who indeed moved, uh, we're asking, you know, did you move uh, to a different area? And again, to back up your point, Christian, actually, no, they're not talking about moving further afield here. They're talking about um, staying in the same area, which, again, I think if we had asked this um, question, you know, 15 months ago rather than the last 12 months, maybe we get a different answer here. Um, but it certainly feels like irrespective of, of, of what was happening then, 
now the market does seem to quiet down. And I was on a, um, a roundtable meeting with the Buy to Let Introduce magazine the other week, and we were talking about how actually that is very firmly coming back into cities in terms of demand. It is returning. We are seeing um, we are seeing sort of demand um, come back to. Oh, I mean, we've seen levels. London has gone nuts the last two months. I mean, literally, it was like there was there was a certain point where it was like someone had flicked a switch. It's like someone had sent the entire nation a text message saying, hey, guys, time to move back to London. Because it literally, <laughs> it was like overnight, it was, we went from, you know, we, we've got a lot of city fringe stuff um, that was very tough in the, in the first year of the pandemic. Because as we've highlighted, you know, you've got, you know no no hospitality sector and the offices are all shut so yeah. why on earth would you want to be in a in a central fringe location with the premium that that comes with um and then literally that turned on its head you know we we had some landlords in the first year of the pandemic we had some landlords rent drop up to 40 percent i'd say our average rent would drop 20 wow. percent, but we had some landlords go down 40 percent that year We've now got land in the last two months. We're now getting our highest ever rents for landlords. We're we're so, achieving five to ten percent above pre-pandemic levels. So it's completely flipped then. In completely space, what, flipped. Nine months, eight months. Well, you know. Yeah, I mean, that, like I say, it was it was literally like a a switch was flicked a couple of months ago. You know, it That's was. Really um, you know, and there, and there's various reasons why that is. A lot of that, a part of that was driven by the tenant segment which typically would secure a property earlier in the summer. A lot of students would secure uh, their student accommodation in June or July before they went home for the summer holidays to come back to in September. I think because so many parents got caught out in the first year of the pandemic and ended up paying for little Johnny's flat for an entire year that they never set foot in, I think a lot of parents turned around to their little ones and were like, I say little ones, they're at university. They should be that little. But turn around to their kids and was like, Yeah, you can we'll we'll find you a place when you when you get to London. You know, yeah. you, you find somewhere when you get there. We're not we're not locking somewhere down now in case the university turns around and goes, Do you know what guys we're gonna do this term from home or you know, oh, whatever. Right, yeah. So I think you had that coupled with things starting to reopen offices starting to call people back hospitality starting to open again the things that make cities attractive starting to happen and so you just have had this flood of people coming back in and as we touched on the point before people's desires have aligned i think you know what we found with a lot of our london applicants they're not quite as transfixed with the exact location they want to be mm. it's much more about the property ticking those boxes they're happier to commute an extra 5 10 15 minutes on the days they have to go into the office, if they get that extra space so they can comfortably work yeah. from home, if the property's well presented, well furnished, if they've got that outside space or that amenity in the development that is particularly valuable to that individual person. And so, you know, what we've found is we've got quite a lot of properties in sort of the London mid-market bit, um, you know, and competition's been fierce. You know, I mean, we've we've had properties that we've been putting on and we've literally had to take them off the market within an hour of listing them well, because within an hour we've received 40 inquiries. I mean, and we're hearing this story, um, you know, again and again and again. And I think 33 percent of this survey said, yes, yes, I moved into a city. So the idea that there's this mass, mass exodus that, you know, um, it was, was, was never going to um, return and the cities would be, would be barren. That's just not true. And actually, I think any change like that. One, it's it's important we recognise that it did happen. But two, that level of change always creates opportunity for another demographic. And actually, that demographic of people that maybe were on the fence about moving to a city that maybe were just priced out of it and it brought the rent down. I suppose the secondary question to that is what happens in 12, 18, 24 months' time when those contracts come to an end and landlords say they're going, actually, hey, I said it was 40% uh, in your case, and well, one of your cases below the market rent. Yeah. Well, actually, that value has completely changed. All of a sudden, you have people who are settled in an area that is simply unaffordable on the market value at that stage. And that will be an interesting time when actually placement might be quite hard. And actually, maybe the question at that stage, a time when agents really, really do add value to tenants because they can see that coming down the tracks and they can start to advise and look to support placement of property that's maybe more suitable to their needs. Look, I've always said t- tough markets are a great time for good agents, you know, and I think this is true on lettings and in sales. I think, and, and, and I don't think I'm telling anything that most agents don't know. Booming markets 
sort of level the playing field. It's easy to be all right in a booming market. In a tough market, that is where good agents really come to the fore, you know. And um, yes, you have to put in the work and the man hours, but that's where you really show your landlords what your worth is and also where you, you know, you really step up uh, to the plate with tenants. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we had some phenomenal feedback over the last two years about how we handled at base uh, the stress and the uncertainty uh, of COVID for tenants, you know, job security and and rent and everything like that. And, um, you know, we took a decision very, very early on in lockdown to take a very just open approach, you know, and we, I think we emailed our tenants about a week into the first lockdown and just said, look, whatever happens, you come and talk to us. Yeah. You know, we can't, we can't guarantee anything because every landlord is in an individual situation. You know, we all know that there are landlords who have no mortgage and are very, very comfortable. And so month to month cash flow is not a problem. And then there are landlords who are absolutely mortgaged to the hill and may even be supplementing the costs of a property. Um, but, you know, we took a we took a decision very early on to take a very friendly, gentle, supportive, understanding approach. Yeah. And and, you know, we we had quite a quite a contentious debate, Anne and I, about that, because there was that agent brain, which was, hold on, if we tell everyone that they can talk to us, if there's a problem, we're going to get flooded with everyone coming to us saying there's a problem, even when yeah. there sometimes isn't a problem. You know, there's going to be people who try and try and leverage this situation. Um, but we made the decision that actually that in the situation we all found ourselves in, which was terrifying for everyone, that was a risk worth taking. Yeah. Um, and what actually came out of that was we only had a couple of tenancies where they tried their luck a bit, you know, but we did have a bit of a, you know, we did have a process whereby, yes, we were happy to talk, but we required everyone to be an open book on both sides and- of the table. And it's easy to forget, we've talked about it on these webinars numerous times, Paul Champina being somebody who's, who's a massive advocate for this, as am I. It's easy to forget how supportive landlords have been of tenants through this process. Agents are the conduits of that, and they set the pace and the tone, I think, of the conversation. And it's, again, remarkable what they There's been some amazing stories. I mean, um, we, we, we had some landlords, you know, a lot of our landlords are very understanding. We probably had about 20% of our landlords agree rent deferment. Um, arrangements Um, probably about 10% agreed a permanent rent reduction um, without any liability to the tenant but I mean you know I know I spoke to one agent I'm not going to name them because I don't know if they they would want this to be publicly known but you know there's a very well-known independent agent uh, I get on very well with you know and chatting with with them with their boss one day you know we were talking about how our landlord's had stepped up and he said, you want to hear something amazing? He said, one of my landlords owns eight properties that we look after. He said, when lockdown first hit, that landlord called us up and said, guys, can you tell all of my tenants they don't need to pay any rent for the next three months? And he was like, oh, what? So we agree a deferment payment, you know, and we'll, they'll catch up. And he was like, no, absolutely not. I don't need the money. They don't need the stress tell them the next three months Amazing. is rent free and we'll revisit that conversation in three months time, you know, and what, you know, what an amazing thing, what, what an amazing position to be in that you can, that you can well, voluntarily yeah. waive, waive rent on eight <laughs> properties for three months. I mean, in London, that would not have been a small sum of money. You know, we're probably talking what Thousands. 50 grand's worth of rent. Yeah. I would estimate uh, over that, over that three month period. Um, but you know that I'd heard I've heard many stories like that. You know I've heard many stories like that, and I think it, for the for the um, the the reputation that landlords and agents are generally held within the mainstream media, um, and they do love to give any of us a kicking any chance they get. Um, yeah. It's been a little bit sad to see that some of the amazing things that our industry and landlords have done over the last two years hasn't got a little bit more recognition. But um, I, I think I think saying anything complimentary about our industry and the PRS brings journalists out in hives. At least that, that, that's my scientific <laughs> uh, assessment. Yeah, of the situation. Uh, well, and, and that's also my experience as well. And, and that indeed, I think, is our job to do that. It's our job to highlight these and it's our job to shout as loudly as possible. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the, the market and the industry calls itself out when people do things 
it, you know, um, it, not in the right way. Um, I, I equally believe that we should call each other out when they're doing things brilliantly. Um, and I'm talking about agents. I'm talking about competitors, providers. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's equally important. I actually messaged a competitor this weekend. I'd seen a, um, a, 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 a marketing campaign that I was really impressed with. I just reached out and said, you know, this is brilliant. Like, I'm really yeah. pleased for you. And, you know, we're up against each other. But there's a general respect there. And I think, you know, being kind to your fellow agents, um, being included in as many organizations um, uh, like you on part of the Letting Industry Council, uh, there's plenty out there that you can yeah. really, really be, you know, involved in something that actually moves and progresses uh, our industry forward. All of these things, I think, actually help with the perspective of we're trying to do good. And that's actually why we exist. We're trying to help people place themselves in homes. And, yeah. you know, that, that's a big job, isn't it? It's not, we, you know, we probably take it too lightly sometimes. It's quite a Look, I think it, thing. it is a big job. And that's why people get so emotional about it. And, and I think, you know, what you touched on is actually, yes, tech innovation has, has moved on. And that's great for us as, as techie businesses. But I think one of the things I find most exciting about the last two years is how it has brought our industry together. Like you said, both as suppliers and as agents. Mm. I think this was already starting to happen. I don't I don't want to give COVID too much credit. I do feel that sort of about five, six, seven years ago, there started to be a transformational shift in attitudes in, you know, we were getting away from these sort of warline trenches where, you know, dear God, you would never compliment a competitor or something else an agent was doing and everything you did was very guarded yeah. and hidden. Um, but I, I definitely started to notice a shift in our industry sort of five, six, seven years ago, and it's been happening incrementally. But I think what's been nice is we saw that with, with a relatively small handful of agents. I think in the last two years, we've seen our profession as agents blossom in that yeah. regard. There's been a lot of ne um, agent networking groups that have appeared on social media sites and what's great to see is the amount of knowledge sharing and help uh, and assistance that happens in there and say, oh, you know, we saw this agent doing this. Isn't that great? Like, what do you guys think? You know, and um, that that I think is one of the most exciting things about the last two years is this real coming together as a profession, uh, yeah. suppliers and agents um, and being much more ready to support one another. I mean, I've always been a huge advocate of our profession and our industry in that respect, and I've always um i've always shouted about things that i think agents in our industry big and small do is mm. you know it should be recognized and, and respected by one another but it's it's great to see that blossom more across the industry and everyone just have a little bit more respect for one another and take a little bit more joy in each other's successes rather mm. than resentment or jealousy in them and, and that's how that's how these processes can change as well. And we, you know, we, we win um, an awful lot of business uh, through the year from from um, word of mouth and agents passing on. Oh, actually, I've got this thing, and you know, it felt like a big change at the start, but now I'm using it. You know, it's amazing, and it's not just us. It's the same for any of these innovations. Um, and my advice is, if you're looking to to change these processes, or you're looking to evaluate what what works and what doesn't, speak to to, to like-minded agents. Pick the phone up. Just approach exactly. it. Most business owners will have a chat with you. Um, let's be honest, right? We all like talking about our businesses. Um, there's a there's a level of, of enjoyment there. So um, don't be fearful of asking fellow agents. Um, just to circle around the data, we, we've set, we've got a slight tangent, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that tangent. So um, I think it was hopefully worthwhile for the, for the audience. But um, just to circle back to the data, the point you made earlier, um, indeed, was about people working remotely, and this this is the way we're going. Indeed, the expectation of tenants is is exactly that. You know, nearly half uh, of tenants um, expect this. You know, this to be uh, something that's a permanent fixture. Um, and you know, that is something that I think we we see in our business. Um, I don't know whether your business, Christian, is seeing the same thing in terms of trying to accommodate. Um, you know, working remotely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, I, I did a bit of research after following looking this slide the other day. I, you know, so what's interesting is so office based work makes up about fifty nine percent of the UK working sector. So I think you know, we've got to face the reality that there are certain jobs that can't be flexible. Hospitality, you know, manual labour. There is mm. there is a large chunk of jobs that that guess what you can't you can't serve someone a three course meal from your own living room, um, or or build a building in Canary Wharf from your house in Lincolnshire. Yeah. So um, so there's always going to be some hard yeses and nos, um, but I think particularly office based work there's going to be flexibility, and I think you look at our industry, everything admin wise 
why wouldn't people want flexibility? There is there is absolutely no reason that the administrative side of a company needs to be done from a single office. Yes, you bring people together. Um, you know, our, our senior property manager actually pre-pandemic, about six months before, he'd been wanting to move to Suffolk for, for years and an opportunity came up for him and his partner to move there. Um, but he didn't want to leave the business, you know, and we were like, we just said, look, you know what, let's let's just give it a try. Let's yeah. see how it goes. You know, do it. Follow your dream. Do three days from home. Come into London for two days because um, it's only it's about a, it's about a two-hour drive for him. Um, he's friends with several people in the business, so he can crash over um, for that one night. Um, so he literally has one commute in on the Tuesday morning and a commute back on the Wednesday evening. Um, and if it if it doesn't change the way that he works or the output of the results, if anything, I dare say it adds to that because he's more comfortable in his surroundings and he's exactly cheap. You know, he's absolutely loving it. He wanted stroke. to get a dog. He's got a dog now. You know, yeah, he's exactly also right. an early morning. Like our, our agency base, we because Anne and I are not particularly morning people. We start at ten o'clock in the morning. He's <laughs> yeah. an early riser. He's up at six thirty in the morning. Um, so what's great when he's at home? How he now does his job, and at the end of the day, all we care about is that the job gets done, not mm. necessarily how the framework of that job sits. So. He'll get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee. He'll sit down in front of his computer at seven o'clock in the morning and he'll do a half hour review of his emails. He'll go through, he'll action anything that's urgent straight away, but he'll go through, he'll flag the things that need attention. So he already knows what the rest of his day looks like Yeah, sure. at 7.30 in the morning. He'll then switch his monitor off, have a bit of breakfast, take the dog for a walk, you know, back again regularly sends us in the in the group in the in the agency whatsapp group photos of him walking his dog on the beach on a beautiful sunlit beach <laughs> in the morning. It's like, thanks terence i'm so happy for cheers, you cheers, um, cheers for that yeah is, but is, this is what it's about right this is what this flexibility is about and this is one of the big psychological shifts of people is it's it's life satisfaction life enjoyment is now just as important as mm. job satisfaction and how that framework sits. And there's legislation coming through with government, and it is coming, uh, whereby employers will have to offer flexible working uh, opportunities yeah. from the moment someone applies for a job, yeah. not as it is now once someone's been in a role for a certain amount of time. Six uh, months, but, I think. Is, is that yeah, right? Like exactly, that six but... months. But the legislation is coming that companies will have to, where feasible, offer flexible work from the moment you offer someone a role. Yeah. Um, and so agents need to start thinking about this now. You know, the, you do not want to be caught out like the agent was recently um, by being completely rigid and completely unreasonable and ending up with a very, very big fine for doing that. Mm. Um, you know, there were some fascinating comments in that article and we won't, we won't go into that too much. Um, but I, I found it fascinating how many people were like, oh, you absolutely can't offer flexibility because what about the other staff? And, you know, you have to do X amount of hours to do the job. You know, we've, we've got to get past that, that, Rigid I, I think I think I think most agents are, frankly, you know, the ones that we speak to, um, and you know, with thousands of letters, most agents seem to seem to be to the other side of that story. I think, but I'm, I'm conscious of time. We've we've overran. Uh, we have, uh, ultimately. Um, so apologies to those listening in. We've got a couple of questions in from um, uh, Luke. Uh, good morning, Luke. Around uh, implementing tech, and Andy as well, asking the same thing um, in terms of um, how you essentially um, introduce the number of different platforms. Um, we'll actually reach out to you directly we can have those conversations but what i would say around the number and essentially what looking for a one key entry yes that would be ideal that everything links up and everything talks to each other and you know from a good law perspective and i'm sure it's the same depository we are very much open to you know <laughs> working with other businesses to f- make that reality yeah the question i would always um, ask, ask agents to, to, to assess is is it adding value and is it making the process better it doesn't need to make the process perfect to add value yeah. And often, I don't know, we're the same with depository. What we say, what we'd see with some agents, we show people, good Lord, they go, that's fantastic. Does it do this, 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 and this? And I like, hang on a minute. It's just boxed off, you know, 40 things that you didn't do before. Yeah. But no, we can do those things if we work on them. But, you know, I, I would stress it, it's about progression, not having the perfect end to end solution from day one. 
I do think that is out there, though. And I think you look at the way that Repit, for example, have opened up their platform. You look at how we're talking about companies more willing to work with each other. I do think you find a place in the in the We're getting there. We're getting there, aren't they? We're we're getting to an ecosystem. But I think it's really important that agents understand, even when we have an established ecosystem, you know, give it another couple of years where we've got lots of products integrated into lots of CRMs and talking to one another. You're still going to have new products coming to market. And unless they have unlimited funds and unlimited dev resources, which no company has, no product or offering is going to launch and instantly have every feature functionality, you know, every variation of product and be simultaneously integrated into every single CRM. That's not going to happen. So when a good product comes along, you've got to be willing to go on that journey. You know, good products, you know, like you said, you guys and, and like us are looking to, uh, you know, we're sort of starting our CRM journey now. We're currently building out our first CRM integration. Okay. Um, and, you know, that's a that's an interesting journey. But it's really <laughs> exciting. And I think, you know, again, for us, it it depends on the product and service. For, for some offerings, that integration is a really big win. And I get it. Duplicated data entry is boring. Yeah. But, you know, I think like you guys, you know, we look at our process we're streamlining an admin process that on average takes four hours. We reduce that four hours work to under 30 minutes. So we're giving an agent back three and a half hours of their time. If at the moment, the cost of that three and a half hour saving is three minutes of data entry. I get it. I get that that's boring. I get that that three minutes is not fun. But we've removed three hours of boring emails that, that you write Christian, and you replicate and you, you chase. You're, pre- you're preaching to the converted. Um, certainly, here, it, it's about net savings. Not, but we want to get there. Uh, we want exactly, that seamless experience. Exactly right. And we will um, get there, but agents have to go on a journey with suppliers if they want that. They do indeed. Um, and, and indeed, we're there to support that. Um, we are uh, out of time. Um, so, <laughs> Cutting uh, ourselves off now. Who, who, who knew that a conversation between uh, you and I would last longer than we, for, uh, we, we forecasted? Um, we, oh, I, I think I, anyone I, who knows me knew that that was always, you know, <laughs> getting me to yeah. shut up within an hour is always going to be a challenge. Um, I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation this morning, Christian. Thank you so much for uh, No, it's been great fun, um, for those, those attending, if you want to understand more and, and look at the other data points that we uh, we took from the safety industry report, that is available online uh, via our news agent, news agent service. Um, I would implore you to log on to that. You don't have to be our customer. Um, it's not about that. It's about sharing data points that you can actually use within your business. Um, and I think there's plenty in there that if I was you, I'd be taking out to valuations. I'd be sending newsletters to my customers um, in terms of landlords and tenants to update them on what the market's looking like. They are interested in this stuff, and it's there at your disposal, free of charge. So please do um, utilize us um, as much as you possibly can through the new news agent service. Um, for today, though, we are, again, out of time. Um, if you wanted to talk to us, the link is on there. Um, I, I'm going to get shouted at by a marketing team because we ran over by a considerable amount here. Um, but if you wanted to book a demo, you can do that uh, via goodlaw.co slash book a call. Um, but thank you very much for attending. Thank you very much again, Christian, for your time. And well, I look forward to seeing you on the next State of Industry webinar, which I believe is in a week or two's time. Um, so thank you very much and have a great day. Thanks, Ollie. Have a good Cheers one. Cheers now. Bye-bye.